0: Hello and welcome to the Writer's Cookbook Podcast. I'm joined today by Croaky McCroakface, who is still recovering from a nasty cold, so I really shouldn't be that mean.
1: It's Ellie Betts. Ah, charming. And with me is Lady Croaky voice herself. It's Christina Adams, but that's just her voice most of the time. Today,
0: we are talking about the ultimate way to make life harder for your characters. Consequences and limitations.
1: Yeah, and here I thought it was just for fantasy writers. Usually, yeah. But is your asthma a limitation? Massively.
0: And does my fibromyalgia have consequences if I ever exert myself? So I hear. So why should our characters have a get-out-of-jail-free card because they don't need inhalers or sleep?
1: like where this is going. Is this where we get insight into how you're so cruel to your characters? There's only one way to find out. Let's get started. Let's start then by talking about why we need consequences and limitations. Why do they matter?
0: I've said it before and I'll say it again. No one likes it when someone's life is too easy, whether they're real or fictitious. Consequences and limitations mean someone isn't invincible or all-powerful, whatever genre you write in. That's why we're actually holding a live workshop on how to write consequences and limitations in fantasy writing and beyond next week. You'll discover the ultimate way to make your characters' lives harder in this one-hour workshop, so if you'd like to find out more, visit writerscookbook.com forward slash limitations.
1: It's going to be a very good workshop. I can't wait. And I do love to make my characters' lives hard. Isn't that the best part of writing? Oh yes, it's definitely up there. So you said we shouldn't just think about these in terms of fantasy. Why is that?
0: Consequences mean whatever genre you write in, what your characters do is grounded in reality. Everything we say, do and even think in real life has consequences. Why are fictional people any different if they want them to be well-rounded and to feel real to our readers?
1: That makes sense. Nobody likes someone whose life is too easy, right? They get everything handed to them on a plate. Limitations mean they can't just do whatever they want. Yeah, it makes them
0: much more relatable and therefore more grounded, interesting, and three-dimensional. And because what they're doing is more relatable and the emotions they're feeling are more relatable and their personality is more fleshed out, people can project onto them a lot more, which they're inevitably going to anyway. And that's the success of a lot of genres, particularly things like romance. So why shouldn't we make sure that we can have these characters' lives as realistic as possible?
1: Of course, you want your characters to be the kind of people your readers can relate to. But consequences and limitations can help us to increase the stakes as well, right?
0: Yeah, they're not invincible or all-powerful. So when they face an opponent who is potentially stronger than them, it increases the stakes and the reader's got a reason to keep turning that page.
1: Mm, And that could be in crime, it could be in a thriller, it doesn't have to be fantasy.
0: Yeah, we could even use it in romance, like if you've got a love interest that's particularly emotionally detached, that works as a limitation and part of that character's arc could be to grow out of how emotionally detached they are
1: mm, or if they're really selfish maybe they need to learn to put their love interests first
0: yeah there are lots of things you can do and you can even take inspiration from real life
1: whether that's
0: yours or the people around you or stories that you read inspiration is everywhere
1: mm, absolutely what about health then because you talk about health a lot how can we use that to add consequences or limitations to our characters
0: So according to the UK charity Mind, one in four people have mental health conditions and 15 million people in England have chronic health conditions out of a population of 55 million. So to not have a character dealing with a mental health condition or a chronic health condition or to not even consider that it might be a possibility for your character actually pulls it out of reality.
1: That makes sense. With that many people around experiencing those things, why... Not include that in your book, but many people even will look fine, regardless of what kind of health conditions they may or may not have, like me and you, we deal with certain bits and pieces, but most people who meet us in the street wouldn't know the difference that there are things we have to consider before we even leave the house, and the same will be true for characters
0: yeah, like before lockdown, I used to have to consider if I had enough energy to drive somewhere but also to drive back, or if I need to rest before or after or before you know, I had to be really mindful of what I was doing and how I spent my energy, and it's really complicated, and it can make the writing process more complicated, but it also then adds an additional challenge for your character, but it also makes them more human, more realistic, and it really pulls at the audience's heartstrings because they, I don't hasten to say pity, that feels like the wrong word, but they understand the additional challenges this character is going through
1: that makes sense and some of these are invisible which is what makes it challenging to represent I guess
0: yeah there's a lot of judgment I got a disability badge at the start of 2020 and I used it the last time I went to the supermarket I parked in the disabled space and used my badge and this woman glared at me as that while I was sitting in the car kind of sorting myself out ready to leave as if I ha- I wasn't entitled to have a disability badge because I look fine.
1: That's the thing, people are judged before they know the full story. It's horrible that you have to go through that and I'm sure lots of other people do too. But it goes to show how much just one small aspect of your life can have a daily consequence even.
0: Yeah, exactly. But it's not just about chronic health issues. You know, we all get cold from time to time. Could you include that to make life a little bit harder for your character? I know... There's, I can't think of what fantasy show it was, but I remember a TV show where the character had a cold and they kept sneezing, and every time they sneezed, something would go wrong. You know, it can be really good for comedy, but it can also be good for consequences and things like that. It doesn't have to be something long-term that you include. It could be something that you include for a few chapters or if it's a TV show for an episode, just to add an additional barrier or complication or consequence, you know?
1: It could just be like a small allergy, like hay fever or a food intolerance, meaning something else is stopping them proceeding the way they want to. For instance, 20% of the global population have allergies for intolerances. That's a huge amount of people. So it's entirely realistic that your character would...
0: Yeah, they can have a huge impact on the way someone lives their life. Like, for example, if you're lactose intolerant, if you're vegan, if you're allergic to certain meats, you have to be very mindful of where you're going out for a meal. And in books like romance, like women's fiction, where the characters spend a lot of time socializing in like restaurants and cafes and stuff, if your character has um, some sort of limitation in that regard, you need to be mindful of that. Like Tate in my What Happens in Hollywood universe is vegan. And so she has to be really careful where she eats and drinks. But because she does have a lot of money, she can basically just, you know, throw money at people to get that vegan food but someone who comes from a less affluent background wouldn't be as fortunate and may really struggle to find foods that cater to their particular diet whether it's a choice or something that's forced onto them
1: so including them in our stories normalizes them I think you remember I'm a big fan of normalizing things I had a interesting dream not long ago where I was just singing normalize it on stage to everybody about different races and different abilities and different sexualities and whatnot in stories so this is part of that uh I won't sing the song (laughs) I would
0: ask you to if you didn't have a sore throat you know that right
1: (laughs) yeah I appreciate that but it makes it easier to talk about when things are normalized they become less of a taboo subject and they should be talked about like people are wildly different and vast array of different personalities and what makes people up is so different that it's good to include Various different things, and to normalise them. Yeah,
0: even ten years ago, when I started to become lactose intolerant, it was still a little bit taboo, and people thought like I was doing it to be picky, and not because dairy made me ill. And it wasn't really until I had a medical test to say, "No, she's genuinely intolerant to this; it makes her ill." That people started to take me seriously, and I—you shouldn't need that for people to take you seriously when something is more widely talked about, more widely accepted. Then people are less likely to be as judgmental when someone can or can't do a certain thing that is expected of the able bodied or able digested people. Digestible. What's the correct way of putting that, would you say?
1: Um, (laughs) competently digestive, competent digestive system?
0: Basically, Uh... no one because everyone has something.
1: (laughs) Everyone has something. And that's the thing, everyone does have something. Um, so by all means include it in your characters and have fun with it and use it as part of your plot you know you can use it as a limitation for your character or equally I guess if they eat something they shouldn't you could use it as a consequence uh, and it's talking about things like this though, that changes the dialogue around them doesn't it?
0: yeah it doesn't just apply to allergies and intolerances although I do half on about my inability to digest dairy a lot it's important for mental and physical health as well because as writers, we do have a duty to educate people. There's absolutely no reason we can't educate and entertain at the same time. You know, they, they've never been mutually exclusive. People just assume they are because a lot of teachers at school and uni, unfortunately, are just not funny or inspiring. No offence to any teachers that are.
1: A lot of teachers are. And education works so much better when it is entertaining, when it is engaging for the audience. But I telling that to some of my old lecturers, especially on my BA it was you know such a newsfest yeah
0: it's unfortunately pretty common
1: <laughs> the limitations like their jobs can get in the way too so say a police officer who needs to follow the rules but may have to break them to solve crime
0: yeah in happy valley she does that quite a lot because she's just got she's determined to get vengeance for something that happened to someone she cares about and she does break the rules and get into trouble as a consequence, but also breaking those rules helps her further get towards solving the crime. So it's kind of, it raises the moral questions of whether or not she did the right thing or didn't, and it has those grey areas and covers them absolutely beautifully, and I would definitely recommend checking out Happy Valley. I know it's on Netflix in the UK, and possibly iPlayer as well.
1: There are also naturally consequences of someone breaking those rules. It's unrealistic, someone who is in an important job like that to not face consequences if they break the rules.
0: Yeah, totally, because it pulls the reader out of reality. If you're trying to ground something in reality, like most stories try to, if they do something and they break those societal rules or they break even societal rules that you've established in your own world, people are going to be like, well, what? This doesn't make sense.
1: Exactly. I mean, fantasy does have that a lot more... I think if you're trying to make it feel realistic, you don't want it to be sold with all powerful people. It's just not realistic, is it?
0: It's not, no. It, regardless of what genre you're writing in, there is a limit to how far someone can suspend their disbelief. And as a writer, you nearly, you really need to work out where that limit is. And yes, it may be different in certain genres, but you need to draw your own line and stick to the line that you've drawn. Because otherwise you're going to get, you know, five, ten books later and people are going to go, what the hell have they done? This doesn't make any logical sense and goes completely against either the laws of reality or the laws of this series that they've been building for absolutely yonks.
1: I was reading a series. I actually finished book four in the series last night. And one of the biggest issues I had with it really grated on me was some of the inconsistencies. So the main character is seeing a police officer. Um and it's a mystery series, so they were trying to solve the murder on the side. The police officer just handed her the victim's laptop as if it was nothing. The main character just sort of took it off her own house, gave it to someone else to look at, someone who was an enemy up until this point in the series, which is book four. And so I was just sort of like always oh, wanting to throttle them, <laughs> like, what are you doing with this laptop? It doesn't make sense. <laughs> this would not happen. There's no way she'd be able to get her hands on that laptop at all. Sure. I mean, obviously, I'm not a police officer, but surely, surely there's no way that would happen. It just, it's frustrating for me to read. It's frustrating to other readers to read as well, I'm sure. It doesn't make sense.
0: Like, in no situation would a police officer hand over significant evidence like that No. to anyone?
1: They, the Even if they're in charge? The author obviously needed that. Particular thing to happen to progress the story, and so they just sort of let it happen.
0: But then you end up shoehorning things in that don't make sense, and it pulls the reader out instead of, like, I don't know, asking for help from an editor or a friend or something. Going, hey, how can I work around this obstacle? Because there were things they could have done to work around the laptop thing.
1: There were, and it just—it really bugged me. I think that the author could have done better. This is not the only
0: example of no consequences for their actions, that I don't think. Yeah, superhero movies. This is a big bugbear of mine and was for a long time. My partner and I watch a lot of superhero stuff together. And I started to get really bored and frustrated. I can't remember at what point. It might have been Age of Ultron, actually. And it was like, how are they going around smashing up this much stuff, accidentally on purpose killing this many people and never, ever facing any consequences? It doesn't make sense. And they finally addressed that in Spider-Man Homecoming. And I really liked that they did do that. And it wasn't just the case of they addressed what had happened. The entire plot centred around the fact that these superheroes kept going around and smashing things and never faced any consequences for their actions. And that that was at the heart of the main opponent in that film. And so it really grounded the story much more than a lot of the other villains that have come in some of them that I think were starting to feel a little bit flat compared to characters like Thanos.
1: I really liked Homecoming, actually. I think that sort of grassroots kind of story really appeals to me. But it's good to know, it's good to see that they acknowledged it. Even if it took 10 years of build-up, I think it was a really good idea to acknowledge it and showing that even superheroes have consequences to their actions.
0: Yeah, and that really grounds them in reality and makes them much more believable even if you know none of us are ever going to have supernatural or superhero powers we still think that there's still that element of oh maybe you never know kind of thing
1: hey i'm still holding out for my powers speak for yourself any day now <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's like in paranormal
0: women's fiction we have to reach forcey and then it'll happen
1: maybe maybe not, not... <laughs> hey i'm older than you <laughs> But even Superman, who is Superman, uh, can't do everything, you know, he has his weaknesses to the point where his weakness is kryptonite and people regularly refer to other people's weaknesses in real life as their kryptonite and in other popular fiction as well. It's become, his weakness has become that well known and done so well that it's very widely used now.
0: Yeah, Kryptonite really humanizes someone who was designed to be super powerful at a time when we really needed a hero who was super mega powerful and potentially indestructible. And if you compare the older iterations of it to the more modern ones, the modern ones try much harder to make him more human. Like they give him more human fears or they give him more human relationships. They add more depth to his character. They add more vulnerabilities to his powers. Or even, like, they reverse the powers so that his actual fear is that he will become too powerful and unable to control it.
1: And his relationship with Lois helps a lot as well, I think, because people can relate to that. People can sort of ship them and root for them and want them to get together because people at home watching will probably have had similar relationship issues or can at least understand those issues. You can, if you can understand a side of a supernatural character, You've already got that emotional attachment, have you? If you can relate to them, you're already halfway there.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that can be why subplots can be really useful because they can help to add that emotional depth in something that is very plot heavy. Stuff like this is probably why paranormal romance is so popular because people can really project or fantasize about all these different powers or being with someone who's got magical powers.
1: Different trends come and go based on what's happening in the world, don't they?
0: Yeah, like witches and ghosts are particularly popular at the moment. There was a massive trend towards vampires and zombies like 10, 15
1: years ago. And everyone is very much bored of sparkly vampires who don't drink blood.
0: Yeah, if they don't drink blood, <laughs> one of the key limitations of them being a vampire is taken away, which makes the writing process easier. But so A lot of readers, particularly hardcore vampire fans, struggle to suspend to that disbelief. Vampire Academy by Rochelle Mead does the vampire side of it really well because they have something called feeders and these are basically humans who are addicted to the um high they get from being bitten by a vampire
1: oh damn so they seek the vampires out just to go and get high kind of yeah but they're
0: literally living in like accommodation provided to them by the vampires so that they can just get high from vampire blood all the time
1: that's a cushy deal for both sides to be fair exactly (laughs) and it does raise
0: some moral questions but not nearly as many as some of the other workarounds we've seen the other thing i love about vampire academy is the magic system because in it all vampires have elemental magic except for one of the main characters and this main character she can kind of use magic but she's not as strong at using it as some of the other characters and it's revealed in the first book that she actually has a new type of, not a new type of magic, a forgotten type of magic called spirit. Spirit tends to get forgotten because it's quite rare. But spirit users basically slowly go mad the more they use their powers. And that's the consequence of the power use, obviously. And it can eventually kill them. Or it can lead to things like drug use, suicide, or even turning into the evil vampire, which is a strogoi. And they're the kind of stereotypical... Vampires with no emotions, and they're basically like a terrifying killing machine.
1: That's such a unique take. I really like that idea. It does sound quite terrifying to lose control like that, just from doing something that would come so naturally to them. That's a really interesting way of doing it.
0: Yeah, and that's part of what makes it so good is that the main character wants to use her powers to help people. You know, because she can heal people when they're hurt. And if you're a good-hearted person like Lissa is. You want to use those powers, especially if someone you love has been severely injured or is on the brink of death, for example. But where does she draw the line? What is the cost to her when she does all of these things?
1: That's interesting. I've been going through Dresden Files, as you know, and they have different types of vampires with different powers too. Um, So, for instance, they have the White Court who are quite Well, they care a lot more about humanity than other ones, although they still have to feed. A lot of their feeding is done off the sexual energy kind of thing. Whereas you have the Red Four, on the other hand, who are just evil killing machines and do not care for humanity. But it's interesting to see those different sides and the way the vampires are limited by what they can do and what they morally can and can't do as well. (laughs) But power and magic limitations are done really well. Resin and other wizards have different natural abilities in terms of types of magic they're good at, but also in terms of the, their raw natural power. That can build over time. So someone like Dresden, who's had a lot of experience fighting with magic, is better at doing so, uh, not just in terms of tactics, but in terms of yeah, the actual spells used, because he's had so much more experience in doing it compared to one of the newbies who's being trained up, even though the newbie might have more sort of studying skills which what I mean. you can't just wake up and decide to be an all-powerful wizard that's the thing you can't the, the, none of the characters can just decide they're all-powerful and just do whatever they want they've got to work towards it and you know, they've got to build it up and build on their natural ability too which you see and do and grow throughout the series
0: yeah the original charm starts like that as well at the beginning there's really not a lot they can do with their powers they're very very restricted and when they use powers for personal gain, there are repercussions. Like in one of the episodes, they cast a spell to attract a man and it ends up like these guys get quite aggressive. And even the cat has guys coming after her. But Poor little the con- <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> but these um consequences lessen as the show goes on and it removes the consequences, which also removes the stakes because you know that they're always gonna be fine. And so it makes it much less interesting
1: to watch. That makes sense. And it makes you want to go on another rant about Season 8 of Charm, doesn't it? Once or twice. (laughs) Let's move on quickly (laughs) before we go into that. In the early days, in Episode
0: 9, The Witch is Back, one of the limitations they had was finding a spell ingredient, which was a spotted owl feather, some feather even. Some sort of owl feather anyway. And because the animal was quite rare or extinct, I'm not sure which, crew actors steal this feather from a museum but she ended up getting caught stealing by her on again off again boyfriend
1: oh drama
0: if i remember rightly she uses her powers to get away from him and then over the course of the season he gets more and more suspicious that she's a witch because of everything unexplained that keeps happening and he eventually finds out they permanently break up and he's killed by demon
1: so just a buttload of consequences dumped on her all at once i guess but fans
0: still root for those two characters and many others still ship them as a couple, even though they were
1: only together for a handful of episodes. Which shows how good they were, I guess, both magically and romantically, and how there's no need to rush the build-up of your magic system or romantic relationship. Precisely. The reason that limitations are so important in fantasy is because you don't want to have all-powerful characters who can do everything they please, as I said before. there's just There's no story there. There's nothing for the reader to want to read on for you want your characters to struggle they have to work for their payoff
0: yeah if everything comes easily to your characters there's no reason for the reader to keep going if the character solves all their problems on page one why does someone need to keep going for the end of the book let alone to the end of the series
1: Exactly. So make sure your characters are not all powerful by giving them limitations. There is a series I've been reading called the Witching Hour series on Kindle Unlimited, in that magic can only be used when there is need for it. But that doesn't have to be something massive. For instance, it's even small things. They can't use magic to clean the house when they're being lazy. But they can use magic to clean the house when someone important is coming over and they need to make a good impression. Then that limitation is in place for larger spells as well you can establish it with something small but it applies to other things
0: yeah and like sometimes when they think they desperately need a spell the spell can either go awry not work at all or work in a way they didn't expect
1: magic becomes a character of its own but that's a story for another podcast
0: <laughs> another thing vampire academy does again is the blood thing they don't shy away from the fact that the vampires need blood and they the vampires do genuinely get quite ill and quite weak and quite lethargic if they don't have blood, and also they become less powerful magically and physically, so they can't fight off the Strigoi who they've been at war with for, you know, eons.
1: Mm, Limitations can also be more physical, by which, I mean, not just related to your body and mind, like Frodo in Lord of the Rings, for instance, wouldn't have anywhere near as interesting a story if he didn't have to travel thousands of miles to destroy the ring in Mordor. How boring would that whole saga be if they lived right next to the volcano?
0: Yeah, there'd just be no story to it, would there? And it wouldn't have warranted the Hobbit movies that came years later either.
1: The story is good because of the physical limitations. A, of them being Hobbits with no way of getting there aside from walking. Uh, and B, got all the hardships they face along the way, they're not magical creatures, really. So they've got a lot to get through just to take the ring all the way to Mordor.
0: Yeah, and as you've said, even all-powerful Superman has his weaknesses, and that's what grounds him, because no one's going to want to read about someone who literally has no weaknesses and vulnerabilities whatsoever.
1: Enemies have to have these weaknesses too, of course, and limitations. Just as you don't want your hero to be all-powerful, you want your enemies to not be all-powerful, because again, you don't want the hero to just be taken down in one hit. That's embarrassing. The enemies need to be defeatable, but not easily so. You've got to have a challenge. Like I said, you've got to make your main character work for it.
0: Yeah, like Thanos in the Avengers. He needed to track down each of the Infinity Stones in order to achieve his end goal. And all of the Avengers were obviously trying to stop him. But that took 10 years to establish because he can't just pop down to the shop and buy some Infinity Stones.
1: It's so handy if he could, right? Totally. <laughs> But again, awesome. we wouldn't have that many films. We wouldn't. We probably wouldn't have any films. But like I would two, also maybe? watch that like, no, it'd be just like a five minute skip of him walking into the shop and going, oh, you sell these. Oh, I need those. And just, and then like, it just cut to him going like, yeah, <laughs> just doing the snap. <laughs> I'd watch that. I'd watch that. I like that. He's an interesting enemy because even though what he's doing from our standpoint, from a human standpoint is horrific, he believes he is doing the right thing. His motives are, as far as he he is concerned, very much justifiable and even admirable. And he's so driven by these motives that they almost become a limitation for him. He's so consumed by getting it done in a way that he believes is fair, which is to just put the fingers and randomly produce half of the relation of the entire universe to dust. he fails to see that what he's doing is damaging, that he cannot see what he'll be doing to people
0: yeah he didn't care because his mission was so important to him and he really Mm. thought you know if you half the population then there are more resources to go around but it was super weird for people when they did eventually come back after they kind of defeated thanos because they've been gone for five years and the fact that it took the avengers five years to do that shows that even the avengers weren't invincible
1: which is good it's That's why it works, because the Avengers aren't invincible, because they have to work for it and you can relate to it. Unlike Justice League, they did not spend enough time building up the world, the powers or the characters.
0: Yeah, there's this really key scene in both Justice League and the first Avengers film. And if you compare them, it shows you why one worked and why one didn't. And it's when they argue. And this creates rifts between these groups, obviously. And for the Avengers, there are very real consequences to this argument that they need to get over to defeat the Big Bad. And it also establishes some of the rifts that are going to be significant later, such as between Iron Man and Captain America. But in Justice League, there are no real consequences. There's no real increase in stakes after they get into this argument. They all kind of move on really quickly and everything's fine. Which
1: you'd think would work, but it just leaves us less emotionally invested. The stakes are not high enough. And they just move on from the argument pretty soon after they have it.
0: Yeah, which means we care much less about Justice League than the Avengers, because Justice League have got nothing to lose. Because, first of all, the fight scene that came before the argument, they, pretty, they did pretty well, you know? The Justice League think that the solution is to outsource defeating the big bad and resurrect Superman? In Avengers, it's all about teamwork, which is much more relatable along with the very human issues that fracture them, such as disagreements in how to do things, such as the fact that Hulk was suicidal because he hates what he is so much. And you really feel like even though these are people with superpowers, they still have very human problems.
1: Which is great. Those problems are their vulnerabilities and it's what grounds them. It makes these superhuman characters feel more realistic and makes us be able to relate to at least a part of them, which is obviously what you want your audience to be doing. You need to have that for all your characters, no matter what genre you're working in. A plot-heavy
0: story is not an excuse for a lack of character development or for weak motives, and sometimes it is used as one, and then people wonder why certain stories are more effective than others, and Justice League versus Avengers is the
1: prime example. Avengers and Thanos have taught us a lot here. They spent 10 years building up to Endgame, which gave them plenty of time to explore character motives and flaws and fears and all the stuff that makes it three-dimensional.
0: And all those things mean that there were naturally
1: consequences and limitations to what they did or didn't do. Wondering how to add consequences and limitations to your next story after all of that? You can actually come and join us for our next live workshop.
0: We'll be diving into how you can increase the tension and the stakes for your characters, whatever your genre, on the 24th of February at 8pm GMT. If you'd like to join us, visit writerscookbook.com forward slash limitations.
1: that's all we have for you this very croaky episode. Thank you for joining us and we will see you next time.
0: Hopefully by then we'll both have our voices back and won't sound like him at the Frogs, Sisters. <laughs>
1: Bye. Bye.